Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney and Eric, I have to confess, I had some brief anxiety on Saturday night when Shakur Stevenson proposed to his girlfriend in the ring. I had a flashback to the evening in Cincinnati when Adrian Bronner turned to his girlfriend post-fight, got on one knee, and as she looked at him with excitement and love, he asked her to brush his hair. <laughs> right. And you could just see, you could just do the freeze frame of her expression and just see <laughs> the moment where she realized, you know, the humiliation that he was visiting on her. But in the event, it actually all was suitably romantic. Uh, all went well. It was Stevenson's second win of the night, if you will. Uh, well, it dodged all very lovely. <laughs> yeah, I, I, on the romance scale, this is certainly a million notches higher than what AB pulled, which I'd actually <laughs> forgotten all about that. So thank you for reminding me of it. It's kind of hilarious in retrospect. Um, but still, on the full wider romance scale, I don't know. I mean... Nothing makes a girl feel more special than getting proposed to. You say yes, you share an embrace with your husband-to-be, and 12 seconds later, he's resumed his conversation with Bernardo Osuna. <laughs> I, I can picture their kids a few years from now. Mom, remember when Dad proposed to you, and before you could get the ring on your finger, he was talking into a microphone about who he wants to fight next? <laughs> Romantic stuff there. I'm, I'm, I'm welling up just thinking about it. Boxes, they're a different breed. What can I say? Yeah. I mean, to make it really romantic, it would have to have been with Jim Gray, of course. I'm I'm not quite sure what you're uh, what you're suggesting there. That Jim Jim Gray just exudes romance to you? Well, exactly, exactly. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. That now that is a, a deep debate for another time. Who is the most romance-inspiring in-ring <laughs> interviewer, Osuna or Gray? That's yeah. that's a Twitter poll waiting to happen right there. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Exactly. Okay. Yes. All right. Uh, coming up on the show, uh, we look ahead to next week's big fight, uh, featuring the return of the pound-for-pound pound number one, Canelo Alvarez. Uh, we look at a number of new fights that have just been announced, including a mouth-watering Superfly matchup. Eric provides his list of top five British boxers of all time. Uh, we talk with former junior middleweight titleist Tony Harrison, fresh off his dominant win over Sergio Garcia, and entertaining post-fight interview with the aforementioned Jim Gray. Um we should warn you in advance, if you're listening with young children or anybody impressionable, or if you are yourself a young child or indeed impressionable <laughs> or in any way offended by potty mouth, uh, once Tony gets warmed up in that interview, he does drop a few curse words, so mm -hmm. be advised. Uh, and of course, we will look back at Saturday's action in New York and Las Vegas, including the newly engaged Shakura Stevenson's dominant win over Oscar Valdez. But first... To the mecca of boxing, Madison Square Garden, where Katie Taylor successfully defended her lightweight championship against Amanda Serrano after an absolutely fantastic 10 rounds of action, Eric. Yeah, this was in front of a sellout crowd of more than 19,000 fans at MSG, a phrase I presume a lot of people assume no one would ever utter about <laughs> a women's boxing main event. Uh, Taylor and Serrano threw down for 10 spectacular two-minute rounds for the undisputed women's lightweight championship of the world. The atmosphere was unreal, as evidenced by how many times referee Michael Griffin couldn't hear the bell ringing at the end of a round. Uh, you had an Irish fighter against a fighter from Brooklyn by way of Puerto Rico in New York. You couldn't ask for a better atmosphere. And the fight equaled it. Serrano pressed forward. Taylor countered. The early rounds were close, and Twitter opinions on who was winning each of them were all over the map. 
Then Serrano broke through and hurt Taylor several times in the fifth round. It was all Katie could do to get through the round on her feet, but she did. She dug down and fought back in the sixth, and then she arguably took control in the later rounds, and the final 30 seconds or so of round 10 was as good as it gets. In the end, Judge Benoit Roussel scored it 96-94, six rounds to four, for Serrano. Glenn Feldman had it 97-93, 7-3, for Taylor, and Guido Cavallari had it 96-93, 7-3 for Taylor, but with a 10-8 fifth round for Serrano. So by split decision, Katie Taylor wins the fight, moves to 21-0. Serrano's record drops to 42-2-1. I have opinions on the scoring and on who won the fight. Those opinions are already well-known among listeners who follow me on Twitter. You did not tweet out opinions on the scoring, Karen, so I have no idea who you thought won the fight. Uh, but we can get into that in a moment. First, I just want to get your thoughts on the action we saw. We had high hopes for this fight. Was this everything you hoped it would be? And more, I think, really. Look, it had what you want in any title fight. Uh, Ebbs and flows, plenty of action, uh, near knockdowns, arguably a near stoppage, uh, come back from the brink of defeat, sensational final round, uh, tremendous heart, tremendous skill, and at the end, predictably, given the, the combatants involved, genuine class and respect. Mm. Um, you know, it felt like there were like four distinct phases to the fight. The first two rounds saw Taylor boxing off the back foot beautifully, I thought, luring Serrano in, firing right-hand counters. Uh, her hand speed was a clear advantage. She had a plan. She was executing it beautifully. But, you know, on her walk to the ring, I thought Taylor either looked completely in the zone and really intense or a little bit too tense. Mm. And... and by, you know, the, the third or fourth round, I was beginning to think, oh, OK, as Taylor was starting to slow down and, and phase two of the fight as, as Serrano very calmly just kept about her business and started getting Taylor, you know, in range and, and landing some of her power shots. I thought, oh, maybe maybe Katie Taylor is a little bit too tense. And then you had that period where Serrano really did begin to turn it around uh, that dominant fifth round, of course. Uh, just looked very calm in there, Amanda Serrano. Just absolutely beautiful, like she had a plan and she was going about it. And then, of course, then you had like that third phase where Serrano seemed to like take her feet off the gas almost imperceptibly at first, and then obviously more so. And you know, maybe she just needed to suck wind and reset after expending all that energy in the fifth and, and the sixth. But by the time she was ready to re-engage, Taylor had recovered not only to the point of having her feet back under her, but also in terms of being able to execute her game plan again. And, and when Serrano did attempt to reassert herself, Taylor had gained control of the ring space and Serrano just couldn't reach her. Um, that was phase three. And then phase four, I think the 10th round was just the thing all by itself. Right. Uh, that I, that was just two fighters going hell for leather and, and demonstrating genuine skill as well as heart and desire. And yeah, those, those final few seconds, my goodness. So yeah, look, on one level, this is a fabulous showcase for women's boxing. It's hard to think of a women's fight that's been better or even close to this, this level of quality on this stage with such a wild and engaged crowd. But it wasn't just a great women's fight. It was a great fight. Yes. It was a great advertisement for boxing, mm -hmm. period. That's it. When all was said and done, I had Amanda Serrano winning 96-94. I nearly had it 96-93 because I came awfully close to scoring that round 5-10-8. Um, there were some mighty close rounds in there. If you had it a draw or even 96, 94 Taylor, I wouldn't fight you over it. Um, giving seven rounds to Taylor, as two other judges did, only giving Amanda Serrano three rounds. 
that's that's not good. Uh, those are not good cards, I think. Um, even with recognizing that there were some really close rounds in there, Amanda Serrano won more than three rounds of that fight. Um, you already hinted that you had some problems with the result, so I assume you're at least somewhere in the same ballpark as me. Yeah, I, I am, and I have an internal debate going about how much I want to say about the scoring, because I... Mm. Really, really, really wish the only story here was how amazing both fighters were and how high this singular fight could potentially lift the entire sport of women's boxing. And as you said, uh, of boxing, period. This was great for men's boxing, too. Uh, you know, sort of like how the popularity of Ronda Rousey elevated all right. of MMA, not just women's MMA. But wins and losses do matter. That's why they fight the fights. Um, Nate, you can argue whether in prize fighting the money is really what they're fighting for above all else but certainly it matters who the judges said gets a win on her record and gets all the belts and who they said gets a loss on her record and gets nothing except for pride and a paycheck so much as i want the top line story to be wow what a fight what warriors i can't not make a big deal about the scoring in large part because as you realize from looking at my twitter i disagreed with it especially as you said, with the margins on those two scorecards. Now, I, I was very careful not to use the R word on Twitter. Mm -hmm. It wasn't mm -hmm. a robbery in my view. Right. I, I used a different word when the fight had ended before the decision was announced. A word I stand by, I tweeted that it would be a shame if Serrano came away with a loss on her record here. I scored the fight actually a tiny bit wider, 97-92 for Amanda okay. Serrano. I realize there are people who agreed with the two judges and they're going to hate my scorecard as much as I hate theirs. Um, I have to say, though, Twitter was shockingly reasonable and a pleasant enough place to converse after the fight. I got a <laughs> lot of people agreeing with me that Serrano won and a lot of people disagreeing seemed more the former than the latter. But it was all quite pleasant. Only one person annoyed me by declaring the correct scorecard was 96-94 Taylor, as if there could possibly be yeah. one correct scorecard in this fight. Um, but th this was a fight where reasonable people could disagree to some extent, a fight where I only had an easy time making up my mind in four of the ten rounds. Mm. Uh, the first three rounds were all incredibly close. I felt like I was flipping a coin at the end of each of them. If one punch here or there caught your eye a little differently than it caught mine, any of those rounds could get flipped. I gave the first two to Serrano and the third to Taylor, and the consensus judges cards actually went the exact opposite. They went Taylor, Taylor, Serrano. So that, that tells you. Okay, so you're in line with the judges. You're a horrible judge, just like those judges. <laughs> Although you ended up with a good final score. Um, but I just think those first three rounds, there was just so little separating them in any of those rounds. I thought the fourth fairly clearly belonged to Serrano. Yeah. Um, two of the judges agreed with me. One did not. The fifth, um, I'm pretty sure this is the first time I've done this in a fight with two-minute rounds. I did score at 10-8 without okay. a knockdown. It was just an ass-whipping for two minutes. Yeah. All credit to Kaylee Taylor for her toughness and for staying on her feet and you know, for everything that came after. All of it is a testament to her heart and will. But I actually felt fairly confident in giving Serrano an extra point there rather mm -hmm. than scoring at 10-9, just like all the coin flip rounds that came before mm -hmm. it. The second half of the fight, this is where Katie Taylor won it on the judges' cards. The sixth, that was her recovery and fight back round. Um, she showed she was all fighter in that round, and she kept it semi-close even, but still, clearly Serrano did win that round. Yeah. Then the two judges who scored the fight for Taylor gave her all of the final four rounds. 
I gave Taylor the seventh and ninth close and Serrano the eighth close. And then if there's one round that sticks in my craw a little, it's that 10th. The first half of the round, Taylor was doing a lot of holding and mauling. Um, Then they started slugging it out and it's spectacular. And I think it's pretty even terms. If you want to tell me Taylor landed one or two more big shots than Serrano, I won't argue, but it's, it seemed dead even to me in those exchanges. And then in the final five seconds, Katie Taylor nearly went down. She was pitching yep. forward, taking shots, exhausted, just barely stays on her feet. So I actually thought that was a fairly easy one to score 10-9 for Serrano. All three judges went for Taylor, and the Twitter convo was on both sides. Some people saw what I saw in the 10th round, some did not. So anyway, I, I thought rounds 4, 5, 6, and 10 were all relatively easy for me to score for Amanda Serrano, including that 10-8 fifth. And none of the other six were clear cut to me. So it was a strange thing where at the end of the fight, I didn't have a single round that I felt definitively Kaylee Taylor won, even though clearly she won some rounds. Um, So even though I can see how it's possible to arrive at a 96-94 type of scorecard for Taylor, it just didn't feel right to me to give Serrano anything worse than a draw. Again, not a robbery, but a shame because I came away from that fight fairly secure in the belief that Serrano had proven herself the slightly better fighter. Mm. I would have been a totally okay with a draw. I'm not quite okay with Katie Taylor being declared the winner. That isn't the fight that I saw. And and so I have some more big picture thoughts, but I was just going on for a, a while there about the scoring. So I don't know if you want to jump in and uh, agree or disagree with any well, of that. Well, what's, what's interesting is from round four onwards, we had the same scorecard. It's those first three rounds okay. where different, and that's where you got the extra round for Amanda Serrano mm-hmm. um, compared to me. But from, yeah, round four onwards, and I agree with you with round 10. I thought it was a, a tremendous round, phenomenal round, but it, it was one of those where I thought that, that Katie's punches were perhaps more obvious and and amanda i thought was scoring with the shorter insider punches inside punches more effectively in that round Mm. and like you said yeah like katie stumbled toward the end of that so yeah that's interesting that 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 tenth round might have well it wasn't definitive because those two who scored it for taylor had it relatively wide but yeah now is that so now i'm thinking through the exact scoring of it let's just say katie taylor had and that closing second tut her glove touches as she falls forward or something switches it from a 10-9 for Taylor to a 10-8 then the other way then we've got okay. a draw yeah. yeah so we'd have a split split draw in that case so it it was um i i for, for a second there i was thinking well it wouldn't even have made a difference if she'd gone down because of the way the judges were scoring it but that one judge going 10-8 uh, in the fifth, uh, that's the one that could have ended up even with a knockdown in, yeah. in the tenth. And I, and I feel, I think, I think I, I don't feel quite as strongly as you about whether about Kenny Taylor getting the win. Mm-hmm. It, Amanda Serrano only being given three rounds, I, I'm, I'm not okay with. Um, but I, I can't get too upset about Katie Taylor getting the decision, not least because Serrano had her and let her off the hook. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of on her. I, I almost wrote, I think I wrote notes to the effect of if Serrano, like if Taylor wins this, it's going to be more Serrano losing it than Taylor winning it. And then I kind of even scratched it out of my own notes because I thought it was unfair to Katie Taylor. <laughs> right, right. Right. Because she was the one who who recovered and, and, and took it back. Um, and yeah, that was 
through, through round five, I thought Serrano was on her way to making a, an extraordinarily definitive statement. Uh, and I was making the question like, well, one of the topics we're going to discuss is Amanda Serrano or Clarissa Shields, the clear number one <laughs> right. pound for pound. And then, and then Taylor turned, turned that around. So, yeah, I did think Serrano won. I'm not upset that Katie Taylor won because it was a magnificent performance by her to turn it back around again. Um, I, I'm just aggrieved by only giving Amanda Serrano three rounds. Yeah, I certainly agree with that. Yeah, I think if it had been, again, I certainly would have preferred a draw to a Taylor win based on the way mm-hmm. I saw the fight. But if it had been 96-94 and 95-94 and instead right. of 97-93 and 96-93, I probably would have been less upset, even though the result uh, might have been still would have been split decision yeah. for Katie Taylor. Um, yeah, I really wish we hadn't just had to spend like eight minutes on the scoring and, and, <laughs> and me going round by round through how I, how I scored. I kind of hate myself for, for doing that with this fight, because what the story should be in a perfect world is what a remarkable event this was, how this was the Ali Frazier of women's boxing. Yeah. Um, I know there already was a literal Ali Frazier <laughs> in women's boxing, but this was women's boxing's fight of the century. And it could be a tipping point for the sport. You know, there was before Taylor Serrano, when the sport was developing and building and trying to get toward being ready for prime time in this way. And then there's after Taylor Serrano and, and the sport just goes to a whole new level now, perhaps um, at the very least, I think this shifts the perception that, that, that this is the moment where you officially became old and out of date and a relic of the past if you still crap on women's boxing yeah. and say there's no place for it you won't watch it they're no good etc that's an attitude a lot of people have had for a long time and if you still have it now after taylor serrano that's on you for failing to recognize what's happened and what's happening and to change with the times it's simply not accurate anymore to say that men's boxing is a real sport and women's boxing is a sideshow. You, you can't watch Taylor Serrano and be taken seriously if, if you still think that. Ten years from now, we're going to be hearing a lot of female fighters saying, I mm. was inspired yes. as a kid by watching this fight. And I realized like how amazing it could be to be a boxer and that the, there were these huge events. And and also, I think, inspired probably by the class that both uh, that both boxers showed. Uh, yeah, I think this will be a, a seminal moment, really, in, in the sport. And it's only deserves to be, you know, it's funny. There was that period where it felt like I, I was ringside at just about every, every big fight. And. Sometimes I, a lot of the time I don't really miss that. I don't miss the travel. I don't miss any of that. But as you well know yourself, there's something about that experience of being ringside for a really big event mm-hmm. that that's not like nothing else. And last night I could feel that atmosphere coming through my TV screen. And I was thinking, oh man, I wish I were there for that. <laughs> yep. That had, that was one of those nights, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. And great call that this is this is a fight people will point to. A generation from now and say that's the, that's the night I decided to become a, a, yeah. a women's fighter like you know young young Mexican fighters saying that Chavez Taylor was the night that got me started in boxing mm-hmm. there there are a few of those like checkpoints for for different people this this will be one of them um so so if we're saying that women's boxing is more comparable than ever with men's boxing that, that the gap has closed a lot Here, here's a question for you Karen through the first four months of 2022 is Taylor Serrano the fight of the year not the women's fight of the year but the fight of the year period it's relaxing in the clubhouse smoking a cigar and daring any of those still playing or preparing to tee off to do better i'll tell you that much (laughs) um that said 
Fundora Lubin and Wood Conlon are also sitting in the clubhouse mm. and they're probably going to have to go to a playoff. Um, I have a hard time separating the three. The other two have the advantage of having had definitive endings, mm-hmm. um, you know, without that slightly sour taste that, that can often happen if you go to the scorecard. So there's mm-hmm. that. You could say, well, you know, those those other fights were being they unfolded over three minute rounds and maybe that gives them an advantage. And by the way, Tony Bellew is a brave man mansplaining why women shouldn't fight three minute rounds, but should instead be granted slow incremental increases in round length while sitting next to Clarissa Shields. But, but that's, but against that, the sheer scale of the stage that they were on, the expectations they were under the, 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 the burden they were shouldering, it was, you know, of not just fighting each other, but basically being the Ali Frazier of women's boxing was a tremendous weight. And, and a lot of boxers can, can shrink under that kind of weight and they rose to it. Mm-hmm. So I think conversely, that adds to it. All I know is at this stage, I, I don't know if you were to ask me right now, I'd have to really think about it out of, out of those three that so far. But I do remember after Wood Conlon, I said something to the effect of, if this isn't the clear fight of the year by year's end, we've had an amazing year. We're not even in May, <laughs> right. and it's not even the clear winner. So I'd say we're having a good year. I mean, yeah. I don't know what you think about about where it stands fight of the year-wise. but Yeah, uh, after a night to sleep on it, um, I actually have come to the conclusion that this is my close but clear leader for okay. fight of the year. It, it was probably Wood Conlon before this with a tiny edge over Fundora Lubin, even though a couple of weeks ago I'd forgotten about Wood Conlon <laughs> and you had to remind me of it. But but I think this edges those, you know, the action and drama were comparable. But what you hit on there, the stakes, the significance, the mm-hmm. atmosphere, those matter when deciding what the fight of the year is. And Taylor Serrano had all that stuff to the max. And, um, yeah, they're only two-minute rounds, so it's only a 20-minute fight. But, hey, Hagler-Hearns was only an eight-minute fight. You're not going to tell me that wasn't the fight of the year. So, yeah. so yeah, for me, this this is the front-runner for now. Yeah, amazing. Fantastic. Real credit to the to both those fighters. Um, moving out of Las Vegas, where approximately an hour after Taylor and Serrano stopped swapping punches, and uh, as you and I both valiantly... <laughs> fought to stay awake we have our we had our own fights let's not diminish the stakes that we were under <laughs> that's right we're the real warriors Gary. that's right uh, uh shakira stevenson and oscar valdez entered the ring for a junior lightweight unification contest um eric we chatted last week about how wide the odds were with steven a very significant favorite and i expressed some surprise about that whereas you felt it was a fair reflection if not necessarily of what you would expect the odds makers to say, but a fair reflection of the actual likelihood of victory for either man. And, well, so it proved, really. Uh, Stevenson was in control from the beginning, uh, boxing calmly and beautifully, displaying clear hand-speed advantages, but also more than that, controlling the range, showing a much greater variety of punches than Valdez. Stevenson jabbed and he moved. He threw lefts to the body and then upstairs. Um, And as the fight went on, he dug his toes into the canvas a little bit more, put much more weight behind his punches. Valdez's game plan appeared to be to just bull rush Stevenson and rough him up and hope to land something big. And apart from the third round, really, to my mind, he had little to no success with that at all. Mm -hmm. Stevenson ended up doing to Valdez what Valdez had done to Miguel Burchell. This was domination, I thought, to the point of embarrassment with a knockdown thrown into the mix for good measure. And prior to the 12th round, 
Stevenson looked as happy and relaxed as I've ever seen a boxer. He was smiling and joking with his corner as if he were chatting with friends at a bar. Um, when that round was over, he was an easy points winner. Two judges saw it, 118-109. One had it 117-110. And honestly, I don't think it was even that close. Um, with the win, Stevenson climbs to 18-0 with nine KOs. Valdez uh, suffers his first defeat, is now 30-1 with 23 KOs. Eric, you mentioned last week that unless the fight was a real stinker, you anticipated putting the winner in the lower reaches of your pound-for-pound top 10 list. Is that still your feeling? And given that Stevenson was so dominant, will you actually be placing him a little higher than you'd expected, do you think? Yeah, so it's interesting. I I was kind of anticipating the winner being number eight on my list, Mm -hmm. but I'm actually going a teeny bit higher than that. I'm thinking number seven for Shakur Stevenson. I'm kind of surprising myself by putting him above my previous number seven, Vasily Lomachenko, just based on current form. Now that Shakur has this one real signature win on his record, I feel comfortable slotting him in there. He's behind Fury and Usyk for me. They're my five and six. They just have these tremendous track records, obviously. And well, Fury might be retired, but in theory, both basically in their primes, if they are still fighters, if Fury is still a fighter, but, um, but I, I think he belongs above Lomachenko, who I'm sure we can all agree isn't in his absolute prime mm-hmm. anymore, though he's still amazing and pound for pound worthy, of course. But this was a tremendous performance by Shakur Stevenson. Yes, it really was. Totally dominant. He reminded me at times of a southpaw, Floyd Mayweather, which yes. is the ultimate pound for pound compliment, although... I mean it as mostly a positive, but also a little bit of a negative. Um, His skills were sublime, but over the second half of the fight, I was losing interest. It was getting monotonous. I was struggling to stay awake. Stevenson was coasting a bit. Granted, the fight had the misfortune of following Taylor Serrano, and that was an impossible act to follow. But still, Stevenson Valdez wasn't great theater. Uh, But, you know, that says a lot about how high Stevenson's ceiling is that he took on a fringe pound-for-pound type fighter in Oscar Valdez, and he turned that into a showcase fight. Um, I gave Valdez only that one round, the third, uh, Mm -hmm. when it seemed like he was finding something with that lead right hand, but he couldn't really do it again after that round. I only thought there were one or two other rounds that were even close. It was essentially all Stevenson. Um, I should point out that the size difference was striking. Um, Yes. The size sort of in like a ratio sense, it almost looked like Lewis versus Holyfield in there. (laughs) Um, Stevenson was that much bigger, but that ultimately had no bearing on the fight. He didn't win it with size and strength. He won it with skill and speed. And Stevenson looked like the kind of talent who really might not be challenged for a while. Um, So so on that front, let me ask you this, Kieran. A a lot of people thought that Valdez was that step up, that challenge, that serious test for Stevenson. He was not any of that. So any guess who will be? It's sort of like a variation on make the match. And it's sort of right. Who's the eventual test for this guy? Well, nobody at 130. Um, I don't think anybody touches him at 130. Um, The challenge now for him in terms of, you know, legacy edition um, is at 135. He he looked, like you said, he looked pretty big and uh, at 130, but he's not a huge guy. So I, I don't imagine that he'd ever end up going much beyond 135. And he doesn't have, you know, he's not a, a power puncher. So, right. you know, and he's going to be even less so as, as he moves up. But he could bring some real sense of, of jeopardy to that 135 pound division. I mean, it won't happen because of politics, but a meeting with him and Javante Davis would be 
fascinating. Um, would he be able to outbox Davis and, and, and keep away from his power for, for, for 12 rounds? More makeable would be the winner of Cambosis Haney. Uh, that would be a very interesting fight. But you already mentioned him. In terms of a boxing purist's absolute delight, there's not many fights right now that I would rather see than Shakur Stevenson against Vasily Lomachenko. Yeah. Um, if, if the if the war in Ukraine ends, or or if Loma decides to to leave to fight again, as, as Usyk is doing, that for me would be a a wonderful contest. Even with Lomachenko somewhat past his prime, he's still a phenomenal uh, a, a fighter. And Stevenson hasn't yet met anybody whose skill is remotely on his level, I think. Uh, he would with Lomachenko, and, and that would be absolutely fascinating. Um, that said, fighters like belts. We're in a period where we are seeing boxers actively look to unify all the belts. Um, and he's fully entitled to decide and would hardly be shirking a challenge if he did, if he decided to you know, find a way to fight Ogawa and Gutierrez and collect the full set of, of mm-hmm. alphabet belts at 130. He's still only 24. Can you believe it? Wow. Um, you know, so he's got time. Right. If he did that, uh, cleaned, com- literally cleaned out and unified uh, completely became undisputed at 130 and then moved up to 135. And then maybe you give like that 135 situation a time to chance to play out. Finally give those four princes or three princes or whatever we're left with. And boy, that, that appellation of mine is looking less and less <laughs> good as time goes on a chance to maybe fight each other and see who's standing. Um, and then move up to 135. But increasingly, I think Shakur Stevenson's a very, very special talent. And, and I think we really, really saw that uh, on Saturday night. He's, um, yeah, he's going to have to move up uh, to really find someone who's really going to test him, I think. Yeah, and just in terms of, of the timing of it and, and how you say, you know, he's he's young, he's got time, and all of those four princes or whatever you want to call them uh, are young. There's time to make those. But that the one that you singled out, the Stevenson-Lomachenko, there may not be that much time before it starts right. to before Lomachenko is no longer quite the even money. I don't know who the heck's going to win this fight kind of proposition that yep. he appears right now. So that's the one that if you want to see one see them hurry up and make one of those fights. That's the one that, uh, yeah, not only might it be the best and most intriguing of those possibilities right now, but it's the one that it feels like there's some immediacy toward uh, making it happen. Unfortunately, that's up to Vladimir Putin. So, (laughs) so we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. We don't, we don't like him uh, being the one who decides much of anything. Really. We do not. We do not. All right. Staying in Las Vegas. uh, There's a big fight there to preview next week. It is at the T-Mobile arena and it features the pound for pound. Number one, Canelo Alvarez moving back up to 175 pounds to take on undefeated Russian Dmitry Bivol. Um, Eric Bivol has at times slightly underwhelmed, even as he's compiled a record of 19 and 0, he secured wins over the likes of Joe Smith Jr., Sullivan Barrera, Isaac Chalemba, Jean Pascal. He's a quiet man outside of the ring as well as inside it. So that's enabled him to fly under the radar somewhat in the build up to this fight. This is very much the Canelo show, as it always is mm. when Canelo fights. But all that said, does Bivol actually pose a genuine threat to Canelo here? And if so, how much? It's interesting. I think the threat he poses connects a bit to what you were just saying about how he's quiet. He's not driving Mm -hmm. the pay-per-view promotion. It's the Canelo show. Look, could this thing sell even better if Bivol had built his own following and and was a dynamic personality? Sure, but I think it will still sell pretty well because 
A, it's Canelo. He's reached that point where he could do a half million plus buys against any human. Uh, but B, because there's a sense that Bivol is a threat, that he that he could be Canelo's kryptonite, that he's good enough and clever enough and experienced enough and big enough that maybe this is where Canelo has bitten off just a bit too much. That's, I think, the perception that mm-hmm. that whether you predict Canelo will win this one or not, you recognize that he could lose this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bivol is a full 175 pounder, six feet tall, which... I realize Canelo has overcome that before against Kovalev, but Bivol is much fresher than Kovalev. He's mm-hmm. never been knocked down or out. He's tremendously well-schooled. To watch him, he's not usually going to make your jaw drop with anything spectacular right. that he's doing, but he's tight, he's crisp, he's not making mistakes, with the exception of, of one fight, that awful fight against Craig Richards, where I think it's fair to say Bivol probably just took his opponent lightly. Uh, but w- with that one exception... He's pretty much dominated a series of very yeah. good fighters. No, Nobody great, nobody on Canelo's level, but a lot of good ones. He's not a knockout artist, but he hits hard enough, uh, h- harder than Caleb Plant, I would say. Mm-hmm. So he poses a threat. Um, I would say the perceived threat is the largest Canelo has faced since the Kovalev fight. That that was the last time I think the feeling that Canelo could lose was more prevalent than it is here. With Bivol's size and sharp punching, a knockout is possible. Uh, but more realistically, with his solid foundation of skills, his excellent jab, piling up points is, is a, a real possibility. Then there's the matter of whether he'll actually get those points from the judges. Um, right. But, you know, the judges have been fair to Canelo's last couple of opponents. Uh, so we can hold out some hope on that front, I think. Um, so br- break it down further, Kieran. What are the keys for both men on Saturday night? And although this doesn't count for our picks contest, do you have a prediction? So the keys of Bivol, and, and you, you alluded to this, simply has the box. Um if there is a weakness in the Canelo Alvarez arsenal and it's becoming decreasingly obvious that there is, um, it's traditionally been in facing good boxers who can move. Floyd Mayweather obviously outpointed him early in his career. Um, Arislandi Lara and Austin Trout took him to very close decisions. Billy Joe Sanders and Caleb Plant had their moments um, and in some eyes were up on the scorecards or at least close until Canelo turned those fights around. Um, And it just so happens, as you mentioned, Bivol is a, really good boxer um while he hasn't necessarily looked overwhelming or memorable he has consistently done more than enough to beat his opponents uh as you said even very good opponents without even necessarily feeling like he was having to move up into fifth gear um it isn't spectacular often but maybe that's exactly the kind of opponent who can come out of nowhere and, and upend canelo he just needs to keep it tight Keep that defense close. Focus on just throwing punches. Like you said, work behind that jab. Keep turning. Keep touching him, touching him, turning him, touching him. Don't open up. Just keep working. Just keep throwing. Like you said, look to try and pile up those 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 um, punches. And not stay in the pocket too much. Sometimes, you know, I think the difference with Bivol and some of those other boxers I talked about is he does kind of tend to box from the pocket um, a little bit. That's perhaps a little bit more dangerous against Canelo. And, you know, I, want to, I would want to see him keep turning, keep turning constantly and seeing if he can do that. Canelo, conversely, has to stop Bivol from getting into any kind of rhythm. If he does get into a rhythm, he has to break it up. Do what he did to Saunders. Do what he did to Plan. Throw that hard jab to the chest. Dig that left hook into the flanks. Really try to slow him down. Keep him in front of him. 
um, and start ripping the combinations by rounds round four, five, and six. We know that Canelo is not afraid to lose the first third or even half of a fight on right. the scorecard. You know, so uh, uh, that's what Canelo's got to do. As for a prediction, you know, it's interesting. I, I think it's one of those fights where there's that real sense of jeopardy, but that when we come down to it, I feel that Canelo is going to get through this without necessarily being in too much trouble. But it may be that Bivol has something to him that we just haven't seen yet because we haven't had to see it. Mm. We haven't seen whether whether Bivol can can be a, can show some real dog in there, which he may have to do because we just haven't seen him have to do that. Uh, I, I do see it being relatively quiet early on. Bivol probably boxing and piling up the points, but then it turning into a Canelo fight. Canelo, I think, slowing him down, keeping him in front of him, taking it over down the second half of the fight. I think the most likely scenario is that Canelo wins on points. An 11th-ish round stoppage is, is possible. Um, I, I guess if we were doing a prediction... I'd be prevaricating between a late stoppage and a points decision. I think this time I'll go for a points decision, probably unanimous decision for Canelo. What about you? Yeah, even when it's uh, not an official pick, we are uh, kind of <laughs> stealing each other's notes here and, on some fronts. We see a pretty similar matchup. Um, if it was any sub-light heavyweight but Canelo, Bivol would be my pick. Even yeah. David Benavidez. That's that's yeah. the one that some might disagree with me, but I, I think I would favor Bivol in that fight. Um, but Canelo, he, he's something special, and I've said this since the fight was announced that I don't think he would have gone out of his way to take this particular fight if he right. didn't see something in Bivol that made him highly confident he's going to get the job done. So I'm picking Canelo. Um, I don't think it'll be easy. I don't plan to bet it. Uh, the odds Canelo is like minus 425. Mm. It's not enough of a sure thing to risk four plus pizzas to win one pizza. Um, I fully expect it to be one of those fights like Kovalev, like Plant, where as long as Bivol is using his jab, he can be winning rounds and maybe building a lead while Canelo is, as you were saying, off to that slow start, fighting a low-volume fight, but applying pressure and solving the puzzle and gradually taking charge. I don't quite see him stopping Bivol. I think he has Bivol in survival mode down the stretch, banging the body, hurts him a time or two, but that Bivol has the fundamentals to get through it. And so, yeah, I, too, am going with a Canelo decision, maybe something like 117, 111, that yeah. sort of ballpark. Yeah. All right. We are joined now by a man whom we last saw on our screens just a couple of weeks ago as he took a convincing win over Sergio Garcia to improve his record to 29-3-1 with 21 KOs. Hailing from the Motor City of Detroit, Michigan, he is former 154-pound world titleist Tony Super bad, Harrison. Tony, welcome to the Showtime Boxing Podcast. It's great to talk to you. Man, thank you for having me. So we'll talk about your fight with Garcia in a moment. But first, I'd like to talk about the, the minutes after the fight. Uh, and in particular, your epic interview with Jim Gray. Uh, the question I have to ask you is, have you, as you told Jim you would be, been on vacation making babies since that night? <laughs> I, still ain't, I still ain't took a vacation yet, man. But it's 
though. I'll, I'll probably take it like early, uh, like uh, next month or like June ish. I ain't took it yet, but trust me, that's that's the plan. I, I only saw it. If I speak it, I feel it in my heart. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. How, how important, just in general, uh, not not necessarily the making babies part. We'll we'll leave we'll leave that to your private uh, information. But how important is it to to try to work in a vacation after a big fight and get yourself some downtime? I, I think it's, I think it's extremely important. I think uh, I think boxing is a uh, uh, drive you crazy sometimes. Like, it's like it's almost like um, for sport. It's like it's like a mental psych psychiatric home or something for like mm. guys that want to just push themselves to be the best version of them in two months three months you know what i mean so i think it's just like putting your body on lockdown for two or three months not doing anything not having no fun not, you know not you know socially excluding yourself from your friends events and stuff like that i think it'll drive you crazy so i just think it's um three months off and then, and then you got when, when the fight is over you got all the time to catch back up on the stuff that you lost out on you know what i mean yeah um so prior to facing garcia you'd only fought once in a little over two years and obviously you'd had some real personal tragedy during that time you hadn't had your hand raised for longer than that in victory how much of a sense of relief and elation was it for you to get your hand raised at the end of that fight um i, I like i said i I, th- I think in that in in activity came along with the pandemic and and um and like like it's like like you said the tragedy of the pandemic but you know just prior to that I think uh I think I think I controlled my destiny from there you know what I mean so just winning just getting the drawing fights I should have won you know put you on the back burner on the shelf type type you know what I mean so I mean like, like everything happens and when when you win it, I don't care how you win, just just good things happen when you win. So just getting my hand raised again, I promise you, it'll be it won't be another year and a half before I fight again because I won. You know what I mean? So like I said, a lot a lot of that stuff through the pandemic, through my 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 father passing, a lot of that stuff. You know, I couldn't fight, but um, I just think a lot, uh, another thing that played a part in that was me not winning the fights I should have won. You know what I mean? So I got to really kind of blame myself I you know nobody's to blame you know what I mean so um when I went in and and I heard charismatic doing it you know what I mean people want to see me again so it's good to be on the winning side of the column again for sure how far into that fight against Garcia did you think to yourself yeah I got this I, I I'm I'm winning this fight oh I knew I had that shit from the beginning okay uh, you know what I mean but when 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 they asked me what I fight my and I said um, and then I told, I, you know, I always tell him, you know what I mean? Like before, before I even had to draw with Perella, I told him that Perella was not a good style for me. You know what I mean? He, he wasn't going, he wasn't going to brighten my, my, bright, bright my horizon or, or get the world yelling or yelling about, cause I, I know my stuff and I know the kind of guys I need to fight. You know what I mean? So fighting Perella, I told him I didn't even want to fight Perella, but you know, my hand was kind of pushed in to, to have to fight that fight. You know what I mean? But. As soon as I heard Garcia, somebody that's superly, super aggressive, coming off a loss, and I know he wanted, he wanted, he he was he was itching to get back on the winning side of the column. It was just every everything worked in my favor, you know. He was super overly aggressive. Those are the kind of fights that I want, you know what I mean? Guys like him, guys like Tim Tazu, you know, guys like, you know, it's just guys that are super pressure fighters, you know what I mean? Like. Like I've, I've I've always dealt with that since amateurs, you know what I mean. So so when that when that when I see him for the first time fight Fondor, I'm like, dude, this this guy gave him a good fight. That was a good fight. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, you know what? 
that's the kind of fight I need. You know what I mean? Mm. For me to push myself and, and, and to not and it's not physically get engaged, but mentally get engaged about the fight. I was mentally engaged about the fight the whole training, the whole camp. And um like like I was super excited, but I knew I knew all in all though, he was too green of a fighter to beat me. Well, when it comes down to skill wise, like he was just too green. So it's interesting you, you bring up his fight with Fundora, because uh, you know, you totally dominated Garcia, whereas in that Fundora fight, he'd given Sebastian a much closer fight. Mm. Based on that, were you at all surprised that right after you beat Garcia, mm. Fundora came out there and scored a big knockout win over Erickson Lubin? Did that result surprise you at all? No, 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 not really. I don't think that that result uh, surprised me. I think that fight was a 50 50 fight. I think either one could have stopped either one. You know what I mean? And you've seen glimpses of Lubin looking like he was about to stop him. You know what I mean? So, uh, that, that 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 fight right there, man, was good for the sport, man. It was good for the sport, but you know, I I, I for me, like I, I don't even need these fights to gauge myself and and, and to balance it to nobody else. When it comes down to me, skill level, I'm 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 in a I'm in a whole other class than all these guys that we're talking about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I just um, you know, you might you may have some guys that's flashier, maybe a little more pop, or uh, may stop, may 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 excite the world by stopping people, but. These guys want to come down a skill, right? Like, like they glasses have four. <laughs> so, so what are your thoughts on on Fundora? He he does have a lot of buzz right now, coming off that win. How good do you think he is? And and just with his height, how difficult would he be to fight? Um, I I, I think um, like I said, having these guys got for me when you judge in a fighter, I just think having these guys got uh. I was well, ninety nine. I have all of our, all of us got. Um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? All of us got like something that we're good at doing, like a lot of. You know what I mean? And I think Sebastian's uh thing is just throwing a lot of punches. He is is like for him, his skill is is stuff that you can't teach. Like like you can't teach a guy how to throw as many punches. You can't teach a guy to be that tall. You can't teach a guy um how to react when a guy's throwing 800 punches in the fight I mean you know you know so but I think that his will his toughness his grit and I, I think um I think like I said the, the fight against Lubin man showed me he he he'd dig down deep and he he'd go and see what how many bones is underneath the uh, underneath the soil you know what I mean so you know he definitely dug deep but in counter side of that, he gets hit way too fucking much. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I think, and I think anybody that's fighting him, that's the plus. That's the plus we look forward to. Like, damn, he all it all it takes is really one shot. You know what I mean? Luba knocking down, but he's uh, you know, but all it takes is one shot for any of us in any in this whole division. This whole division is very good. It's very stacked. Um, it's it's a lot of talent around. It's a lot of guys that do stuff different than than everybody else. Um, but uh. I think I think he's probably one of the most exciting fighters in in, in our division. You know what I mean? He's gonna hit and get it. You know what I mean? He's gonna give it just like he get it. You know what I mean? He's not shying away from it either. So um I think he's one of the, the most exciting fighters in our division. We've got obviously a, a unification battle, a 154 coming up on Showtime. Uh, a guy you know very well, Jamel Charlo, uh Brian Castanio. What did you make of the first fight? And do you what do you see happening in the rematch? Do you think there's going to be a very different scenario than the first time? I, I, I saw some good shit on both sides, on both sides of the parties. You know, I, I thought both of them did good, but I think the thing that stood out for me to say 
that um, Charlo deserved the draw is that he took a guy throwing a thousand punches around to, to took him down to throwing five hundred punches around, and that 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 that, that shit is an art in itself. You know, that's that's that shit that you know the normal hour overlook. They're just looking at a guy swinging. You know what I mean? But you gotta really calculate. This is not this guy's really like his, his his plan. Like once you throw somebody up there playing them, throwing a thousand punches around and in the fight, and you, and you take them down, you slim them down to six hundred punches. You know, then then that that got something to do with that guy that he was fighting. You know what I mean? So right. you, you know you know so for so 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 for the draw to be called, I wasn't even mad at the draw because we took a guy from. Being a thousand punch count guy in in the fight, and made him a six hundred punch, you know, level guy in the fight. You know what I mean? It just, yeah. I, I was I was okay with the draw. I was okay with the draw. And another thing, Castano got hit with some good shots, man. Some the more crowd reactive kind of kind of punches. You know what I mean? So I think Jamel landed the more the the punch throughout the fight that you look like, damn, woo, like that's a good shot. You know what I mean? So, um, Castano still had his pressure there. He still threw more punches than Jamel, but you know, to 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 decrease your punch, your punch count from 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 this to that, you know, it, that that has something to do with Jamel, man. So mm-hmm. I just I, I I I was okay with the draw. I was okay with the draw. Do you think it'll be just as close again in the rematch? I do, honestly. I do. I do. I, I honestly won't be surprised if we see another draw. You know, <laughs> I honestly think. Um, um, both guys know what to expect, but you know, for me, I, it's it's so hard for a, a horse to change his stripes. And I think um, for me, I think Castano got the edge going into the rematch because he knows exactly how tight he needs to be to win the fight. You know what I mean? I think for Jamel, it's like he's going out there fighting somebody that he knows he's supposed to beat, whether than Castano going out there knowing what it takes to beat Jamel now. Mm. You know what I mean? But I, th- I think he just has the advantage by getting hit with the bigger shots. He's like, now, okay, I got to be careful. He he sparring guys that are punching better. You know what I mean? So it's so so. I mean, his body's gonna be a little more resistant to the punches that Jamel is gonna swing and and throw. And I and I also think that he knows that his punch count was kind of low, and I think he has the ability to to pick his punch count up now. And I, I think he's gonna do that. So I honestly think Brian Castano got the edge going in. Okay. Interesting. So uh, one weight division below where you fight, we recently saw Errol Spence dominate your Dennis Ugas. That's at welterweight. Obviously the fight everyone wants to see is Spence against Terrence Crawford. Do you see a favorite in that fight? Shit, man. I think that's, that's probably going to be the best fight that we've seen in the last 15, 20 years. That's, that's, uh-huh. that's, I'm, I'm looking to see that fight. That's, I, I don't really look to see fights. That's the fight I'm looking to see. I think I, this, this guy Earl is just fucking ridiculous. Like it's, <laughs> it's yeah, like it's crazy. Like it amazes me, man. When guy got his hand on you, man, he got his hand on you. You know what I mean? And it's amazing how that guy comes after tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, and still comes back and face the top guys in the division. Which is Ugas, I love Ugas, man. If you know me, man, I love Ugas. I love him as a person. I love him as a fighter. I love him as a boxer. And I think he is the he is that 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 spade card in that division that. You really don't want to fight, but you might have to go through that kind of guy to get to, you know, one of the top guys. And I think Ugas is probably the toughest, if not one of the toughest in that division, to, to, to you know, for everything he overcame. But 
for Earl to do that to who guys, man. I'm talking about, man, it's just like when God got his hand on you, man, and you just hmm. go along with the plan, like, man, you hard to beat, man. And I got Earl, man. That boy, that, that boy is hand-picked. They better stay away from that boy. He is hand-picked <laughs> by the Lord himself. <laughs> go get these belts. You know what I'm saying? So, I think, but I think I, I think Terrence Crawford, man, him and Terrence Crawford is just the best fight there is to make, man. And I, and I think and I think those guys know it. And I think those guys and these this fighters don't understand that we have the power to make these fights without promoters, without managers, without anybody involved. You just gotta say, I'll fight you and you'll fight me. You know what I'm saying? And that's it. You know what I'm saying? So I think we want that to happen for not only for them, but for us. You know what I mean? So I, I applaud both of them, man. But that fight's to me 50-50. Right. If, if only it were that easy to make all the fights that we would, that we want to see. That would be nice if they would all come together that easily. Um, yeah, but, that, but that's the thing. Like, 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 like the thing with me is I don't, I, I think it is that easy. Like, like you can write somebody on DM and say, okay, cool. We'll fight. I think, I think now I, I think, um, I think the, the, just from a business aspect of it, it's, it's the only thing that complicates things. Like, okay, how much money? Right. You know what I'm saying? Who, who gonna walk out first? All right, well, shit. Who go? You know what I'm saying? Who go? You can't walk out with an artist. It be like little dumb shit like that, like like shit that you can't control. That be like the stuff that's stopping the best fights. Like, where the fight gonna be at? Hmm. All right, well, shit. Make that bitch that little Caesar's arena instead of four field. We ain't we ain't fighting a four field. No, no. Like, you know, they be like little stuff that like we don't even have no control over. But fighters itself can make fights. Like, just say you'll fight me, and I fight you. You know what I mean? So now it just becomes down to how much money somebody want that to stop a fight or who's coming out first or the split or, or the right. pace split or, you know, so I think it's, 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 it's not about the fight that the reason why these fighters don't ain't fighting each other. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's just, it's the boxing is, it's, it's, it's called business boxing. Now. You know what I mean? You're just trying to do it when it comes down to the business. got to be right. That's it. Yeah. Let's finish off by turning it back to Tony Harrison. You said that you obviously want to be much more active than over the last couple of years. You got to take your time off, obviously. But when you come back from your time off, what do you want next? What What is your plan for the rest of this year and for next year? Oh, well, shit. My whole thing to myself, man. My whole plan to myself is I want to I want to get back and fight Jamel. That's 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 my whole plan. You know, what I mean, get back to fight for Jamel, or if he don't got the belt, fight for the fight for the belt again. You know what I mean? Fight for the WBC again. So I think I think that's my plan and. and for me, man, I just want, like I said, I want to, I want to, I want to, at this point in my life, I want to fight the guys that can bring me the most money, <laughs> put me closer to that destination of fighting, fighting for the title, whoever had the title, you know what I mean? Or, or, or a Jamel fight period, you know what I mean? Just to, just to kind of even a score one-on-one. I hate that shit anyway. It's, it's hanging over my head. So mm. I would win or lose that motherfucker because that shit is bothering me. But, mm. um, you know, just get back at the top of it. Like I said, I'm back to number one now. You know what I mean? After being out, after after fighting a year, taking a year off, another year off, and all these breaks in between. You know, I stay. I'm I'm the epitome of resilience, man. And, and I'm back. And I'm back at number one. And now it's just about bringing me the best fights to get me closer to a title or the closest to the money. Awesome. Hey, look, Tony. We really appreciate. It. We're really looking forward to seeing you back in the ring again. Really great to have you on the Showtime Boxing Podcast for the first time. And I know it's not going to be the last time. We would love to have you back again in the future. Yeah, um, I, I, I will tell you, I love you. I got to love you because I don't do, I don't be doing interviews and stuff no more. I don't really like interviews and stuff no more. Like they, they took all the fun. I like all these reporting and shit took the fun out of 
me doing me doing interviews and podcast. Like, I don't even be doing it, but I rock with y'all. I rock with y'all. I rock with y'all. I rock with. Well, I rock with my dog BC. So anytime, anytime, right guys, call me. I'm out here. We really That's appreciate awesome. it. That's thank great. you, my man. Dog. All right. <laughs> Take care, Tony. Thanks again. All, right. All the best, man. All right. Thanks to Tony Harrison for a great interview. He did not disappoint. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize that he was saying no to most interview requests these days. No. Um, I don't know about you, Kieran, but I'm, I'm feeling kind of special. He might, he must like us, or yeah. or or he likes the Showtime brand name. It might have something to do with that. Uh, yeah, but it might. <laughs> either way, great stuff from Tony. Colorful, likable guy. Now. He can go take his vacation. Now that he's done Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney, now he's taking care of all business and can go enjoy some time off, I think. There you go. All right, let's move along now to this week's news. And our main event this week focuses on several recently confirmed fights. We'll combine these all together into the news main event. First of all, Showtime has announced the full undercard for the May 28th pay-per-view, headlined by Javante Davis versus Raleigh Romero. The pay-per-view will open with a 10-round super featherweight bout between Eduardo Ramirez and Luis Melendez, followed by another 10-rounder, this time in the 154-pound division between Jesus Ramos and Luke Santamaria. And the co-main is a scheduled 12-rounder in the middleweight division, more recognizable names here, Erislandi Lara taking on Gary Spike O'Sullivan. Elsewhere, Matchroom and DAZN announced a pair of cards. Uh, one in Mexico City on June 10th features junior flyweights Hiroto Kayaguchi and Esteban Bermudez, while on June 25th in San Antonio, a four-fight card will feature women's welterweight champion Jessica McCaskill against an opponent to be determined. Your favorite, Mirajan Akhmadaliev defending his 122-pound belts against Ronnie Rios, and Julio Cesar Martinez putting his flyweight title on the line against McWilliams Arroyo, all set up for a mouthwatering main event that pits Jesse Bam Rodriguez, fresh off his win over Carlos Quadras, against the man Quadras was originally slated to face on that night, former superfly titleist Shrizaket Sorung Visai. Kieran, what do you like there? What's your pick of that bunch? With all due respect... To the home network, that June 25th zone card is phenomenal. Mm. Um, from top to bottom, depending, of course, on whom McCaskill faces. And by the way, can we take a pause to also say what a good color commentator Jessica McCaskill is? Yeah. Um, she's just really, really terrific and incisive. She was great uh, with, with Taylor Serrano, and she's just been a really consistently good addition to that DAZN announced team. Definitely. Um, but yes, depending on who she faces, it, it looks like it's going to be excellent top to bottom. Uh, unless I'm forgetting something, it might be the best card of the year from beginning to end, at least on paper. I love Akhmadaliev, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, Ronnie Rios is a terrific matchup for him. Um, we've already partly seen Arroyo Martinez. Um, it was shaping up to be a good contest last November until it ended in a no contest uh, after a couple rounds, so we can expect more of the same there. And, and as for the main event, what can you say about Bam Rodriguez? Only 22 years old, was already looking impressive at 112 pounds, jumps up uh, in weight to take out Quadras, and now willingly puts himself in against Rissiket, a guy who's borderline huge for his weight. Uh, if he gets past Rissiket, Bam Rodriguez might be uh, the front runner for fighter of the year in my book. Um, talk about, as our friend Brian Campbell says, daring to be great. I, I can barely wait for this card. I, I think it's a terrific, uh, a terrific collection of fights. 
Yeah, the I'll, the only minor disagreement. I'm not sure Ronnie Rios can be competitive okay. with Medalyev. That that one might turn out to be a mismatch. We'll see. But I do I do love the card top to bottom. Yeah, indeed. Elsewhere in the news, the ripples from the Daniel Kinahan situation continue to spread. Former middleweight contender turned Sky Sports commentator Matt Macklin, who co-founded MTK, originally named MGM, with Kinahan in 2012, was prevented from boarding his flight to the U.S. for Stevenson Valdez because of his prior connections with the man he once reportedly called his best friend. Uh, one of the other fighters who has been associated with Kinahan, Tyson Fury, has reiterated his intention to retire from boxing while leaving the door open to exhibitions and WWE appearances. Um, the man he defeated last week, Dillian White, says he was knocked out, not by Fury's uppercut, but after knocking his head on the canvas when he fell after Fury pushed him immediately afterwards. He asked for a rematch, in response to which uh, Fury's UK promoter Frank Warren responded simply, if slightly obliquely, I wanted to take out Julia Roberts, but it never <laughs> happened. <laughs> the, uh, the manager of UFC pound for pound number one, Kamaru Usman, uh, tweeted that Canelo was, quote, an absolute chicken for fighting guys with, quote, 5,000 followers on Instagram, as if that's the de definition of, you know, what makes a good fight. Right. Accusing him of being afraid to lose to Usman, to which Canelo responded with a simple... Who the fuck is this? <laughs> um, after Usman tweeted directly at him, uh, Canelo responded, you calling me out, right? You want a payday, right? So you know where, but sit down. It's not your turn yet. I have a legacy to make. <laughs> and Vladimir Klitschko, who retired from boxing in 2017 after losing to Anthony Joshua and is presently deeply involved in the toughest and most important fight of his life, has said that if the war ends and he's in shape, He'd certainly consider returning to the ring to beat George Foreman's record as the oldest heavyweight champion in history. Eric, that's a pretty eclectic grouping of stories. What do you make of all of that? I think I can find a little something to say about each of those, and, and I'll take them in the order in which you presented them. But um, but I'll let someone else do the commentary for me on the Kinahan-Macklin development. Uh, it's my pick for Tweet of the Week. It comes from Derek Cooper, at Cooper Derek. And I think you'll like this guy, Kieran. He describes himself as, quote, a Scot living in Mankland who loves boxing, Liverpool, and having laughs. Well, there you go. Is Mankland, is that Manchester? Is that, yes, sir. Uh, okay. So, uh, yeah, but it was, it was the boxing Liverpool. I don't know how much you like having laughs, but at least the other two. Uh, that, I'm against that sounds like you. Right. <laughs> so uh, you'll recall, I'm sure, Kieran, uh, in part because I think you were at this fight. You recall Billy Joe Saunders against David Lemieux. Mm -hmm. Saunders made Lemieux miss a punch wildly yeah. and then looked out yeah. in the crowd with his yeah. glove on his forehead as if watching the punch sail across the sky. So Derek posted the screen cap of that memorable image and tweeted, Billy Joe Saunders looking for a flight to America for anybody connected to MTK. <laughs> I thought that was quite clever. Um, the other items here, I'll do my own commentary. Um, Fury, okay, he's made it one week without changing his tune, but it's not shifting the odds that the Raskin Sportsbook posted last week that had him a plus 400 underdog, never to have another boxing match. I still think he's going to fight again. Uh, White, look, there's no denying that Fury gave him a forceful push. I'm pretty sure he was headed to the canvas anyway, but maybe he wouldn't have fallen in that exact way and banged his head. But still, zero chance of a rematch. Nobody other than Dillian White wants to see it. And Frank Warren, you know, don't give up on your dream of taking out Julia Roberts. As long as you're breathing and she's breathing, it's possible. More possible than Fury White, too, if you ask me.
I love it. Managed it. So there you go. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> the, the bar is not where you think it is on that one, Frank. <laughs> um, so uh, Canelo. I love hearing him curse in English, and now yes. I learn that I love seeing him curse in English yes. on Twitter also. Uh, and uh, lastly, Vladimir, please don't do it. Um, yeah. I, I do hope that the war ends sooner rather than later, of course, and I, and I don't doubt that Vlad will be in shape, as he says. But from one 46-year-old man to another, it's not a good idea. Um, I stand with Ukraine. I don't stand with the Klitschko comeback. Um, but boy, wouldn't that just be the most boxing thing ever? If Tyson Fury were to be retired from boxing while Vladimir Klitschko was fighting again. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. Oh, yes. the sport. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we finish up with the top five list. And last week, uh, inspired by the all-time conversations surrounding Tyson Fury, you gave me the assignment of ranking the all-time top five British boxers. And I clarified with you afterward, you did indeed mean British, not English. An important clarification that I more or less understand, although it does get confusing with Ireland. But then again, I still don't know if you're Irish or English and we've been friends for like a dozen years. So whatever, <laughs> moving on. Um, anyway, here I go. A schmuck from suburban Pennsylvania trying not to incur the wrath of every last British listener. This should go well. Uh, oh, yes, exactly. What could possibly go wrong? Right. So at number five, uh, let's get the nation of Wales on the board. Um, a fighter I was slow to warm to and rate properly, in part because he was slow to face the best opposition. But once he did, toward the end of his career, he thrived. So I think I now regard him properly among the all-timers. I am, of course, talking about Joe Calzaghe. Retired undefeated at 46-0 with 32 knockouts, reigned as a super middleweight title holder for a full decade and as the super middleweight champion for the tail end of that, then went and added the lineal light heavyweight title. Uh, so the legit champ in two divisions, never lost, and scored signature wins from 2006 to 2008 over Jeff Lacey, Mikkel Kessler, and Bernard Hopkins. I won't count beating faded Roy Jones in his final fight as a signature win, but it did give him two Hall of Famers on his resume. And, of course, he began his alphabet reign 11 years earlier by beating British icon Chris Eubank, also faded at the time, but a dominant win for Calzaghe. I can see a case for one or two different guys for this fifth spot, but I have Calzaghe here at number five. Uh, I do too. I went back and forth with him and one other fighter, as to who was five and who was six. Okay. Um, I might feel differently at the end of this podcast. <laughs> uh, it, like I thought it was quite close, but I think actually when you take the step back and look at the entire, the entirety of the career, I, I think, you know, you touched on it here. The, the, the length and consistency of Kazagi's career probably gives him the nod here. Um, like yourself, I was also slow to warm to him. I think there was something about his fighting style mm -hmm. that just, I was just, ah, I don't know. I didn't, I think the Lacey fight was what started to turn it around for me. Sure. Um, the, the Kessler fights were, were just, just fantastic. That Kessler fight. And that, that really did uh, underline it for me, I think. Um, yeah, completely deserved. Yeah. Number five, I I'm with you there. Okay. Uh, I'll stay in roughly the same era for my number four pick. But let's go up about 80 pounds. Um, Jamaica might claim him. Canada might claim him. I actually believe he lives primarily in the U.S. now. Uh, but he was born in West Ham, London. He is Lennox Lewis. Not Lennox. Lennox. <laughs> uh, an all-time top 10 heavyweight, almost certainly. 
He finished 41-2-1 with 32 KOs, scored at least one win against every opponent he ever faced in the pros. The losses were bad. Knockouts to Oliver McCall and Hasim Rahman, neither of whom left much of a legacy besides upsetting Lewis, but he did avenge them both. He held the lineal title twice, alphabet belts off and on from 1992 to 2003, and he beat such greats as Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, and Vitaly Klitschko, along with seemingly every just-below-great heavyweight of the era. And perhaps most importantly, he reversed the reputation of the horizontal British heavyweight. Yeah. Uh, America ruled the division for pretty much an entire century, and, and the Brits were mostly a punchline, often coming close but never going all the way. Then Lennox Lewis changed that and charted the course for the division to now largely belong to British and other European fighters. There's a case for him a spot or two higher, but he does have those two ugly losses. I have Lennox at number four. So I'm a bit disturbed already because um, when when I <laughs> when I set this, I thought, look, we've got over a hundred years of boxers here to look at. There's absolutely no conceivable way we will come anywhere near to being close in our lists. And my number four is your number four. <laughs> my number five is your number five, even though I hummed and hard a little bit about my number five. I'm very curious to see where you're going with your top three. If we end up with the same top five in a challenge that I really thought we wouldn't, I I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. But yeah, no, I, I completely agree with you. Um, for all the reasons you said and yeah Lennox a, a highly deserving champion and I think one of those guys who has become increasingly appreciated now that mm -hmm. he is no longer in the ring I think um yeah uh, and, and also just you know a, a real quality individual and a real credit to the sport as well yeah uh so not only might our top five end up proving exactly identical I'll be curious also if the one you have at number six and debate, debated mm. for number five. I wouldn't even be surprised if we're identical all the way down to which guy we almost put at number five. But we'll get that to that at the end. Um, I move now to a different era, a very different era. And, uh, and spoiler, we're going to stay in this very different era. Lennox was the greatest British heavyweight champion ever, but he wasn't necessarily the greatest British boxer to win the heavyweight title. Oh, come on. <laughs> All right, clearly we have the same number three, um, because there is uh, one British fighter who, uh, while not overly distinguished among heavyweight champions, also won the world light heavyweight and world middleweight titles. He was boxing's first three-division champion, Ruby Robert, Bob Fitzsimmons. He was born in Helston, Cornwall, England, wherever the hell that is. Uh, he did also <laughs> live at times in New Zealand, Australia, and America, but he was a Brit first. He was one of the great punchers of his time with 57 KOs among his 69 wins. He won the middleweight title in 1891, then the heavyweight title in 1897 with his famous solar plexus punch against Jim Corbett. And in 1903, he moved back down in weight to claim the light heavyweight title. Would he get his ass handed to him by any modern fighter? Probably, but you have to judge fighters against their eras, and Fitz was one of the great champions of his. His record features numerous names that endure 120 years later. I think in a pound-for-pound -pound sense, you have to rank his achievements above Lennox's, so I have him at number three, as do you, clearly. <laughs> I believe he was also the lightest person ever to win the heavyweight champ ah, okay. the championship, because he you know, you talk about would he have his ass handed to him. I think he was only like about 170 pounds when he right. won that. So, and 
he was disqualified by Wyatt Earp. Mm. You mentioned it in, in a fight. Uh, you mentioned his, his famous solar plexus punch uh, in a fight with Tom Sharkey in 1896. They couldn't find a referee f- uh, for it. Wyatt Earp was available. And um, uh, Sharkey went down from, from Fitzsimmons' uh, solar plexus punch but claimed it was low. And, and Wyatt Earp said, yeah, it was indeed a foul and DQ'd him. And there was much controversy about that shenanigans in boxing one would never have thought such a thing but um yes he's my number three this is not going as i planned at all (laughs) and at this point i think it's it's hard to imagine then that we don't have the same uh one and two in the same order just based on the way everything else has fallen uh i'll wait though to hear you sigh when i make clear what my number two is to to confirm that um for number two we move to a mere 100 to 110 years ago, a welterweight champion who had a ridiculous 301 bouts, a ridiculous 232 wins. I haven't heard a sigh yet, so is it possible this isn't who you're thinking of? I don't know. Um, from London, Ted Kid Lewis. Yep. Okay. I'm and out. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> For you uh, conspiracy theorists out there, um, I can't deny that I might have been influenced to rank him above Bob Fitzsimmons and that other Lewis, Lennox, because Kid Lewis is the greatest British Jewish boxer ever. He was born Gershon Mendeloff, a perfectly marketable and tough sounding name, if you ask me. (laughs) Uh, But for some reason, he opted for Kid Lewis and his record is remarkable. He beat Jack Britton for the welterweight championship of the world in 1915 when Lewis was just 21 or 22 years old, depending on which birth date you believe. And then they fought oh, 19 more times. Um, that's a full career for a lot of boxers, 20 fights. Um, after that rivalry ended, Lewis went on to reign as British and European champion uh, at welterweight and then middleweight and mastered over the course of his career two separate styles. He was a slick defensive boxer early in his career and an aggressive boxer puncher later. The numbers are crazy, and, and it can be tough to figure out how to compare a guy who fought in the 1910s and 20s to one who fought in the 1990s like the other Lewis. But Ty goes to the Jewish fighter on my list. So uh, <laughs> I have Ted Kid Lewis at number two. Should I just go ahead and announce your number one? <laughs> you can you can if you want. Although, I don't know. Maybe you want to wait and see. I might have some curveballs up my sleeve here. Does what? it rhyme with Wimmy Gild? <laughs> I don't want to say. I don't want to say. Okay. Let, let me build to it. Let me build to okay. it. Do you have anything to say about Ted Kid, Kid Lewis, or should we just get right to my number one? No, no you said it all. And he even, I, I can't, uh, I was too busy sighing internally um, to note that, did you even mention that he actually went, he actually went all the way up to try to challenge George Carpentier for the light heavyweight? Oh, role. no, I didn't mention that. Uh, yes, but, okay. it didn't work out well for him, but he did go all the way up there. He was, uh, and he won British titles, I think, at middleweight and light heavyweight. Uh, tremendous fighter. All right. So number one, does it rhyme with Wimmy Child? Drum roll, please. My number one is David Price. I know. Just, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Oh, that, that was going to be my follow-up joke. <laughs> so, okay. No, it is not David Price nor Audley Harrison. Uh, Welsh listeners rejoice. You get two spots in the top uh, five. As at number one, I have the mighty Adam, all-time great flyweight champion, Jimmy Wilde, from some town in Wales that I'm not going to dare to attempt to pronounce. Uh, Wilde's record, 137-4-1 with eight no contests. And of those 137 wins... 99 were by knockout. He is without a doubt one of the biggest pound-for-pound punchers in the history of the sport. Even as he was the reigning flyweight champion, he would routinely move up and knock out bantamweights and featherweights. 
He won the World Flyweight title in 1916, never lost it in the ring, rather vacated it. And by the way, two of his losses came in his final two fights. So he was 137-2-1 up through 1920. The names he beat won't mean much anymore, but just know that he beat the best guys at 112 and well above 112 his entire career. And he's almost always listed by historians as the greatest flyweight of all time. And I am listing him, as do most historians, including Kieran Mulvaney, apparently, <laughs> as the greatest British fighter of all time. Mr. Titbull. <laughs> that's that's where he's from? Yes. Hmm. Sounded almost kind of dirty. A little, little dirtier Welsh, than I would have expected. Welsh does, yeah. sometimes. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, and he started his career like he was undefeated in his first... I mean, obviously, records are a little uncertain, but like 93 right. fights or something. I think it was like 92-0-1 or something, mm. which is just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, we should have been able to see some of these guys, eh? Because uh, Jimmy Wilde in particular just sounds like an absolutely just exciting guy to watch fight. And... Uh, at the time, you know, Nat Fleischer called him the, the greatest flyweight champ in history. Um, yeah, I would have loved to have been able to see what some of these guys were actually really like. But yes, I also have Jimmy Wilde at number one. All we have to do to put the the icing on top or the cherry even further on top of the icing is to see if we have the same number six. All right. So, yeah. So so there were actually two other fighters that I considered for the top five. But, uh, but should we try and at this, the one that... I think is my number six that I'm assuming is yours. Should we have to do a countdown three, two, one, and say the name at the same time and see if it's the same? <laughs> Funny if it's entirely different. <laughs> be, okay, that could that could make for good podcasting too. Although I don't think that's what's going to happen here. Three, two, two one. one. Ken Buchanan. Oh, oh, all right. Look at that. <laughs> I had Ken Buchanan on my list. But, all right, so but not quite at six. Yes. Okay, and so uh, for what it's worth, I said there were two others I considered, and the other is Tyson Fury. Okay. Um, so it's not like we're way off here, but um, but yeah, Ken Buchanan, the lightweight champ from Scotland, is the one I kind of yeah. considered maybe ahead of Calzaghe, and then Fury. It, this is where I spell out the difference between greatest and best you know greatest right. is about achievement and resume right. not just talent and ability and I, I yeah i just don't think fury quite has the resume for the top five if indeed he never fights again if he does fight on his stock could rise on this list um others that are on sort of the next tier somewhere below number seven for me carl frotch nigel ben chris eubank randy turpin barry mcguigan nasim hamed and a fighter i have been told there's only one of Ricky Hatton. Uh, <laughs> anyone I missed? Um, there's another one from that that era, or more or less that era of our a little bit after actually of our top three guys, Freddie Welsh, the Welsh wizard who was mm -hmm. a lightweight champ. Um, I don't think he really ever makes it to like the, the the greatest list, but I always thought he was one of the again best um, British fighters. But just happened to be in a just a ridiculous era for his weight class was John Conte, the the light yeah. heavyweight, um, was just in an absurdly good era. Um, and then, you know, I I gave Randy Turpin a mention primarily on the basis of his win over Sugar Ray Robinson, mm -hmm. uh, how the rest of his whether the rest of his career justifies him being up there or not is a question. But um, but otherwise, we are pretty much the same. And it's interesting to me how you've really got like two distinct eras in great British boxing, you've mm. got like that pioneer era, and then very little except for a Buchanan and a Conti until right. 
Lennox Lewis, Ricky Hatton, those guys setting the stage for the more modern era where, you know, British boxing really is in the ascendancy now. Right. So here's what this experiment was good for. Uh, Anyone out there who thinks that we might be like planning it out and trying to make sure that we have competing (laughs) lists, this is the definitive proof. That we are, you know, coming up with our own list because if we were scripting this and planning it out, we would obviously right. try to have a little disagreement and a little argument in there. We remain constantly, unintentionally, the exact opposite of first take. One hundred percent, yes. Which is why we're not on first take, among <laughs> other reasons. Among other reasons, added to the list of reasons we are not on first take. Exactly. All right, that will do it for another edition of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney. And many thanks again to Tony Harrison for joining us. We will be back next week with a look back at Canelo Bivol, and we will have the exact same points to make about that fight. I can guarantee that. (laughs) Certainly. Uh, And we will look ahead to the junior middleweight unification rematch between Jamel Charlo and Brian Castaño, and our picks for that will be identical as well. Um, (laughs) Well, you you are way ahead of me in the picks competition right now, so we must have disagreed somewhere along the line. There is that. Okay. All right. Until then, thanks for listening. Be safe, be kind, and be well.